0: Reading and then dismiss the children. Scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just want to continue with the theme that BJ has been using over the last few weeks. Starting in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you have been saved, or being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You may be seated. Children, you're dismissed to your class. Walk, please. Well, good morning again. I'm continuing this morning with a theme that is looking towards next Sunday, Easter Sunday, and what took place there uh, several thousand years ago now. And I'll be using Apostle Mark's uh, version of his gospel uh, to share these events and uh, see what he says as he wrote this um, narrative. So turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, and uh, we'll take a look at a section that is, at least in my translation, the English Standard Version, they subtitled it, The Triumphant Entry, and I think I've heard it called that, my whole existence in church over the many decades <laughs> um, But uh, actually studying for this was kind of very informative. And I hope you'll find it that way too. So this is one of the events in the life and the earthly ministry of Jesus that have been documented in the New Testament that is identified and documented in all four Gospels. There are a number of things that happen in Jesus' ministry that you might find in one gospel or two gospels, sometimes three gospels. But There's only about ten different events that you'll find in all four gospels. I don't know if that necessarily means that there needs to be more importance put on those passages or not, but it is something to consider and to think about because why are they in all four gospels and not The others, I don't. I don't know that I have much more of a a better explanation for that than there must be some importance uh, to those particular events that took place and that were documented. But when we read the Gospels, which are the the first four books of our New Testament, we do need to remember that each apostle wrote their particular book from their own perspective, with a particular audience in mind, and I'm not going to go through all of them today, but when they were writing, they were addressing a particular audience, and they were trying to address a specific purpose. In the case of Mark, he wrote his gospel to the Christians who were in Rome, which we believe when he wrote the gospel of Mark, he was in Rome at the time. So he was addressing and writing to the Christians that were located there in Rome. And he was wanting to present the person and the work and the teachings of Jesus to them. So as he wrote and what he documented, he wrote for that purpose. And we need to keep that in mind. And um, I'd like to start with verse 1 and we'll read uh, the first 11 verses here. And then we'll take a deeper look at them. So Mark 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread with the Twelve. This is the Word of God. This event took place at the beginning of what is considered the Passion narrative, or at the beginning of what is called or considered the Passion Week of Jesus Christ, which ends at the end of this next week in the time of the calendar at the time, with his arrest, conviction, and crucifixion and burial. The beginning of the next week, so next Sunday, would actually be when the resurrection takes place. And that would be the beginning of a new week. Jesus is at the end of his earthly ministry. And it was the week leading up to the Jewish festival of Passover, which would be next weekend, All Israelite males were expected to appear in Jerusalem three times, at least, minimum three times throughout the year. And this is one of the occasions that they were obligated to come. And this would bring a large number of people to Jerusalem for the festivals. At the Pentecost that we have in the beginning of Acts, so soon after Jesus ascended, it was estimated that Jerusalem's temporary population was probably between two and three million people. So it brought in a tremendous number of people from all over the region, the country, and and probably from other parts of the known world at the time, Jewish men who were obligated to come to Jerusalem for the Passover. Of course, with the men, they only uh, at that time, uh, that was some of the obligation, but most men would have a wife possibly, or uh, children, or uh, a, a male who would be uh, of age might still be with his family. So there would be a large number more people than just uh, just the males that would come to Jerusalem. But they're estimating as much as three million people. Would have been there. Jesus and his disciples are traveling in this story to Jerusalem after he's concluded his ministry in Galilee. Uh, i was trying to put a, a map up on the uh, on the uh, TVs. Do you see it down at the in the video, all the way down in the bottom? Can you just click on it and see if you can? Uh, I don't know if. My map stood one direction and the TV lays the other, so I'm not sure if we'll get the full map. But I thought it might be helpful if you you had a map of uh, the New Testament Palestine. To yeah, It's kind of squeezed down by the TV, but you get kind of the idea there. So they were traveling to Jerusalem. They had been in Galilee not too long before this, and they were walking uh, south. They had to go over the Jordan. Remember, uh, a lot of times the Jewish people would not go through Samaria, which would be directly below Galilee. So they'd go over or across the Jordan to the east side. They would hike further down, and then they would come back across. So you'll see that language in the narratives, and that's what's going on. Um, For them to be able to celebrate in the Passover, they would need to be ceremonially clean, so that would prohibit a lot of Jewish people from traveling through Samaria, which they considered unclean. So that's why they would cross over the Jordan, travel down on the east side, and then come back across. You can just leave the map up. It will be fine. Thank you. So Galilee is north of Jerusalem. They were now traveling westward from the Jordan River. They had already crossed over. And I don't know, you guys probably can't see it because I'm having a hard time seeing it with Jerusalem there, just kind of west of the the Dead Sea. That's the region that is, is being discussed here in our story. And they came, um, and, and and on this road that they're hiking on, remember, everyone is starting to travel, which most of us by foot, and this is a major road, so there's a lot of travelers that are walking on this road on their way to Jerusalem, along with Jesus and and his disciples. So there's probably large groups that are constantly kind of all moving in the same direction. It's probably like as you're starting to drive to the San Francisco area or you drive to the L.A. area and as you get closer and closer more and more people start gathering in and the next thing you know you have, you're kind of in a traffic jam. It's probably like that. It was a Palestinian uh, foot traffic jam that heading towards Jerusalem. The disciples thought that they were going to Jerusalem with Jesus to celebrate the Passover that was their purpose that's you know that's what they were obligated to do they were looking forward to celebrating the Passover they've done this for the last couple of years with Jesus and they were walking in that direction with that same thought but this particular Passover was to be different Jesus had a very important appointment that he was traveling to. He had already told his disciples on three different occasions the purpose of this trip. Mark documented the occasions in chapter 8, which B.J. read last week, uh, beginning at verse 31. Again, in chapter 9, at verse 30. And then lastly, in chapter 10, which, if you just flip your page back, if In your Bible, you would be able to come to this section and I'll read it for you. Um, All of them say something similar. That's why I thought only one was necessary. Chapter 10, verse 32. It says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. So they're on this journey still. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. So they're on the way to Jerusalem and he's trying to let them know ahead of time. Look, this is what's going to be going on. And listen to what he says. See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. That was a pretty specific detail of what was going to take place. However, we're told in scriptures that the disciples, for some reason, still do not understand what he's talking about. And that was because it wasn't fully time yet for them to understand. We're told later, after his death and, and resurrection, that they looked back on many of these events that took place. This is probably one of them. And God opened their minds so they actually could look at it and understand it from what it was. Of course, hindsight, a lot of times, is what they say is 2020, And maybe that had a little bit To do with it. However, I think God does something similar for even us in our lives. Uh, how many times do we, uh, experience things in life where He doesn't allow us to fully understand what or why something is taking place? Especially as we're going through the circumstance. And I think partly that's because if you knew what you were going into, you might try to change going into it if you thought it was going to be painful or you're concerned about it. You might be fearful. You might lose your your uh, faith in, in, uh, in trusting in God and, and lose your trust. And it wouldn't be good for us to always know what it is we're going into. And I know there's a lot of things in my life I went through that if I'd known what I was about to go through, I would have dragged my heels and never done it because it was painful. But those events are usually the ones that is best for you to go through. And especially if you're trusting God as you're going through it and you're able to have your 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 faith strengthened by it, which so many times it is. It's actually a blessing from God. And for whatever reason, God didn't allow the disciples to understand what Jesus was saying until later. And, you know, three three different times, you know, sometimes when you read through some of the the stories, and of course we have the benefit of looking back. We have the whole story written out for us in our pages. They didn't have the Gospels. So they they couldn't look at what was going to take place. They just had Jesus telling them things. So we have a the a, a, a benefit of that. But, you know, I do sometimes look at it and just go, I mean, even if Scripture is saying that he didn't allow them to understand, how could they not understand? He told them three times in, in this the detail that was used in it. You're just like, I mean, who did you think he was talking about? But thank goodness God does that and does it for us too. So by taking this journey, Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. And he was not only filling um, one in particular that came to mind when I was writing this. In Matthew chapter 1, remember when Joseph was finding out that um, his wife, was, who he was engaged to at the time, was going to have a child. And the angel of the Lord came to him, and what did he tell him? That his wife Mary... Was to bear a son who is conceived of the Holy Spirit, and that they were to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But he was also fulfilling many other prophecies that were written for us in our Old Testament, in their scriptures. Our Old Testament was what their scriptures were, that's all they had at the time. the old uh, the the scriptures that they say there's many many um, scriptures that refer to the messiah in the old testament which was written over a thousand year period and there's probably close to 300 references to the messiah that are written in those scriptures and then for the coming messiah at that time because he wasn't here yet now remember what bj has been telling us over the last couple of weeks That we read the Bible like a novel. Kind of what we read in our scripture reading this morning. That the good news of Jesus, or that that the good news is of Jesus. And that it comes in the form of a story. It's a narrative for us. And the story of Jesus does not begin in Matthew chapter 1. It began thousands of years before. Jesus was even born. All the way back to Genesis 3 is the first time we see any reference that might be associated with him, not by name, but by the person coming. Where God stated that one is to come that will crush the head of the serpent. And that is looking forward to the Messiah that will be coming over a thousand years later and is walking into Jerusalem in our story or riding into Jerusalem. Following the story through the scriptures, the this, this scarlet thread that we've talked about in the past, as it weaves its way through the pages of scripture, all through scripture, and we see the life of Jesus is also woven through those pages because he is the Messiah who was to come. All those scriptures were talking about him. The event in today's passage was actually foretold of 500 years before in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, when the angel Gabriel appears to Daniel and he spoke of the 70 weeks. Without going into a lengthy discussion on the translation of it, this isn't a a story on on prophecy or, or trying to explain Daniel. It addresses a span of 483 years that started from the date of the decree of King Artaxerxes until when he granted um, permission to the Nehemiah to begin the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And it is 483 years later would be the coming of the anointed one in Daniel chapter 9. Who is identified as a prince, who will put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity and bring everlasting righteousness. So Scripture is just full of prophecies and full of, of descriptions of who this person is. If you remember from the many times that we've mentioned it here, you know, the the, the, the Jewish people knew who the Messiah was. They had verses in the scriptures to point about the time and when it was going to take place and what this person was going to do. And this is something that they were very familiar with. Several commentators and preachers that I used to uh, research for the sermon today stated that the, the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem in this passage would have been exactly 483 years from that decree. So this is another Old Testament prophecy that had to be fulfilled and is being fulfilled by Jesus to confirm that he is the promised Messiah. If there's over 300 verses or or as many as 300 verses in the Old Testament of prophecies speaking about the coming Messiah, Jesus had to fulfill every one of them to be the Messiah. And he did. Mark 11.1 1 states that Jesus and the disciples were nearing Jerusalem, as we read. Bethvitch and Bethany are at the Mount of Olives. And I don't know if that picture is, is uh, showing those very clearly. This would be on the Saturday before Passover when this is taken place. And as they're walking west towards Jerusalem, they're about two miles away, which is where Bethany would be at, from Jerusalem. And uh, something interesting is Bethany is um, a location that biblical archaeologists and historians, they've been able to confirm where Bethany is and that it did exist in history. Bethany is one that they have not been able to find anything from what I understand to actually, you know, uh, have non-biblical documents to confirm. But obviously it was someplace very close to Bethany at the time. And I think the road actually, for some reason, takes kind of a switchback in that area. And it sounds like Bethany is in one part and somewhere along the switchback would be Bethanage. And uh, so they're on this road and they're walking to Bethany. The elevation here is about 2,600 feet. And on the western slope, from what I understand, you would actually have a a gorgeous view of the Holy City looking out over it from 2,600 feet. So when they leave Bethany and they start heading for Jerusalem, eventually they come to a point they can look almost, I don't know, I kind of envision a vista point, but you come over that ridge and you look out and there's the Holy City laid out before you. This elevation, this 2,600-foot mountain that is there, is the Mount of Olives. So when you read about the Mount of Olives, this is where we're talking about. Bethany and Bethanage were located on the eastern slope. Gethsemane, remember the Garden of Gethsemane in the, in the story, we'll hear about again in next week's sermon. It's on the western slope of this location, so that's, all things that, uh, especially if you've been in church and had Easter services and Eastern sermons, you've heard all these names, and that's where we're talking about. Gethsemane is actually means Orchard of Olives, which I would imagine mean is where the name of Mount of Olives comes from. It's olive groves. Jesus came to Bethany, which was the home of his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It wasn't very long before this particular trip, in this visit that they're doing, that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. That was not very long ago in relation to this story. So on their way to Jerusalem, Jesus stops to see them. And again, this is on Saturday before Passover. On this particular day, the story about Mary anointing Jesus with the, with the expensive perfume and wiping his feet with her hair. This takes place while he's there on this particular day. Of course, we know from reading the various Gospels that Judas saw this and was angry by it. He thought it was a waste of money. And it was kind of the final straw for Judas, uh, if you will, the final straw that kind of pushed him over the edge to cooperate with the religious leaders and to eventually betray Jesus. The Jewish leaders had already decided among themselves to try to get rid of Jesus. But they were concerned coming up to the Passover week to not arrest him and do this at that time. I mean, we we kind of assumed that they were plotting to do this and this is when they were going to do it. But in fact, they discussed it and said, you know, we don't want to arrest him during the Passover week because, uh, you know, the, 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 the people really like this guy and they will probably be mad at us and we don't want to get, you know, them angered at us. So they were looking at doing it sometime after the Passover. But the divine planner, our Heavenly Father, had other plans because in his calendar, This week was the week that Jesus had to die. God's plan of redemption could not be derailed because of the circumstances that are taking place in the minds of these men, especially the religious leaders. John wrote in his gospel, in chapter 12 of the gospel of John, that when Jesus was visiting with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, A large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there and they came to Bethany to see him and Lazarus. Because this raising of Lazarus from the dead only happened not too long before this, they knew who Lazarus was. The news of this miracle got around and people were in awe of what Jesus did. And just as much that you know, people were coming to Bethany to come see the guy who Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, it's uh, some way it's almost like what we would do if 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 some uh, miracle or some something unusual took place. A lot of people in our society feels like they have to go there and go touch it or see it or or uh, you know have have some personal relationship to that particular event. And these people heard that Jesus now is in Bethany. And remember the large crowds walking down the road heading to Jerusalem. There's probably many groups of Jewish men and families that are traveling, probably from Galilee, just like Jesus and the disciples are doing. And they're coming and they hear, wow, that that prophet Jesus is here. And hey, isn't this the town that Lazarus, the guy he raised from the dead lives in. So there was a large crowd that was gathering, wanting to, to see them. The story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead had become well-known. It was being passed around, even to the religious leaders, which is one of the groups that when they were hearing this, they were uh, becoming angry. They were concerned about the way the people were looking at this and in uh, praising it and giving Jesus this um, attention that they wanted. And this further angered them. So what did they do? They'd already kind of started talking about killing Jesus. But now they start realizing that, you know, Lazarus is a problem too now. So then they start plotting to kill Lazarus too. He's now on the, the list of people that they need to get rid of. And they begin to plot to kill Lazarus. Sometime soon. So that took place on Saturday. Kind of a busy day. A lot of things going on. The next day, which would be Sunday. Jesus instructed his two disciples in our story to go to Bethany. Which was nearby uh, to Bethany. And that they would find a colt tied up. And they were to bring the colt to him. And he told them that if you're confronted by the owners or someone in the area, Jesus told them to tell them that the Lord has need of it and that it would be returned to them as soon as he was done. So the disciples unknowingly were involved in yet another Messianic prophecy, which comes from Zechariah 9, verse 9, and it reads, Behold, your king, listen to the detail of this prophecy. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, not just a donkey, but on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was Zechariah 9.9. The Lord has need of it indeed because he needed it to fulfill this prophecy too. Another one that he had to accomplish. And it happened just as Jesus said it would. The colt was tied up with his mother. They were questioned. And after responding, they were allowed to go on their way. And here's another example of what I meant. By understanding what the writer of the original uh, writing, who were they writing to originally, and what was the purpose of that that writer or the authors writing the letter? Mark, in our passage, for instance, doesn't mention Zechariah nine nine specifically. What takes place fulfills it, but Mark doesn't lay it out. You read Matthew's version of this, and he actually lists the, the verse and uh and identifies it. So Mark is writing to a a Gentile audience, where Matthew is addressing a Jewish audience. That's why one has it and one didn't. And that helps us as we are studying these things because it helps us to understand why something that may seem to be inconsistent is not inconsistent at all. And that's things that we should be aware of. In the story, once they brought the cult to Jesus, he was allowed. He, he personally allowed something to take place that he had avoided and actually uh, forbidden. That might be a little more of a harsh word than I intend to use, but he avoided throughout his ministry that he's he's been doing. There were times in his ministry that he would do something. And the people would rise and they would want to declare him to be king and to be the Messiah. And a lot of times, if you remember some of the stories, either he would disappear and just kind of, you know, slip out of the crowd and be gone. And next thing you know, he appears somewhere else with his disciples. Or he would actually rebuke the people and tell them, no, no, don't do that. It's not time yet. So there are many times that People wanted to do it, but he would not allow it. This particular time, this journey into Jerusalem on the, the back of this cult, Jesus does allow it. And the reason that he's allowing it this time is remember that the Jewish leaders decided to kill him, but they're going to wait. So pressure needs to be put on them for it to take place. And, and, and pushed them into arresting him and going forward with this. Because this is the week that Jesus was to die. They were putting pressure on the religious leaders to act. And that was the purpose of this. So the disciples placed coats over the colt's back. Jesus mounted and rode the colt down into Jerusalem. And there's a number of sermons you can get on various details of all this and what it meant. And this morning, uh, I just couldn't go into any more of it. But uh, if you, if you want to look at some sermons, uh, you might find some other things of interest. It says that many people... People that were uh, in front, people that were behind. Remember there all these masses of people walking towards Jerusalem. So they kind of jump in on this. And they start taking their coats or their cloaks. They put them on the ground. And they place palm leaves. Some translations say. Others will just say leafy branches. So I'm not sure which type of branches were put whatever was in the area. It seems like there's a lot of olive trees in the area, so maybe there's a bunch of olive branches put down. But they were spread out, and he rode on these limbs and cloaks. Now, the spreading of cloaks on the ground, this is an ancient gesture or a custom that would show submission. So they're showing submission to him. If you were uh, submitting to a king, for instance, it's kind of like telling them, I'm, I'm below you, and you can walk all over me because I'm submitting to you. That's kind of the idea behind doing that. So it's an act of total submission when they were doing the cloaks on the ground. We have an example of this in the Old Testament of the people's response to the King Jehu when he was uh, crowned king in Second Kings chapter 9, if you wanted to look at that. Um, they do something very similar. And there were many who walked in, in front of Jesus and behind him as he went and were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom, the coming kingdom of our father David. The things that they're shouting are things that they would shout for the Messiah. And talking about the, the coming kingdom of the, our father David, the coming kingdom they believe, That when the Messiah came, he was coming as a earthly ruler. And he would come and he would deliver them from bondage from the Roman Empire. Remember the Roman Empire is the one who controls Palestine at the time. And had them them under subjection. That this earthly uh, ruler would come and throw that yoke off of them. and, And establish his own kingdom and be like Solomon's kingdom or David's kingdom of pass you know the uh, the great kingdom that they had in the, the region that's what they were looking for that's what they were expecting and Jesus as we've said is the Messiah and he is deserving of this worship and praise that he is receiving here and the way that The uh, Bible translators, and in particular uh, my ESV, and I think most of your Bibles probably say the same thing, that subtitle calling this the triumphant entry gives us the impression that this is is a section of scripture that is welcoming um, the Messiah, welcoming the king as he comes to establish it. But this is in no way his coronation which would be when triumphal entries were done in ancient times would be as they were being crowned or coronated into the monarchy that they were taking over and that is not what's taking place here specifically so this is not as coronation um one of the one of the sermons that I Uh, listened to as I was going through this was one of uh, Pastor John MacArthur which I use a lot Um, he did a, a sermon on this passage and what he said was that he meaning Jesus would before he could come to reign he had to come to die so this is not his coronation This is when he's coming to fulfill his purpose of coming to earth as a man. He is coming to die. This event had to take place to fulfill prophecy, but it was not his coronation. When he came to Jerusalem on this journey, it was not to establish his kingdom. Not at this time. And why? If you look back in chapter 10, verse 45, he he answers that question. He said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's his purpose with going to the cross. To give his life as a ransom for many. He had come to die so that many might live. There is, however, two parts to Jesus' coronation. This is not it, this isn't when it's taking place. The first part of his coronation actually takes place at his ascension, that would be part of his coronation. Philippians chapter 2 says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that's what you would expect to be taking place if it was a coronation, this triumphant entry. The ascension, when he went to heaven, that was his heavenly coronation. Where is he now? He's now reigning as sovereign over heaven and the universe at the right hand of God. He is the Messiah. He is the king. And there will be a second part that takes place. A second part of this coronation. And that's going to be at his return. When he returns, and we see the details of this in Revelation 19 and 20. I think the women's study is going through this real soon. And this is when Jesus will come back. Not on a colt of a donkey this time, but on a white horse. And he'll come and he will establish an earthly kingdom. And that kingdom will last forever and ever. And that will be the second part of the coronation. Something that I found very interesting in in the reading of this text and learning about it is the event of riding into Jerusalem on a colt this day of the week of Passover. According to Mosaic law, the lamb called the Passover lamb that was going to be sacrificed, at the end of the week on Passover would be selected on this specific day and brought down into Jerusalem. Here in our story, the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, is coming down from the Mount of Olives, riding into Jerusalem in preparation To be killed. All the other Passover lambs from all the many years prior to this. Selected over the centuries. They were nothing more than the types or representative of the Passover lamb. That is now coming into Jerusalem. He has finally come. And the sad thing is that many of the people who were there. Missed it, and while these people are leading him and calling out Hosanna, and appears to be welcoming him as the Messiah, and and you would think this is a time of rejoicing and that they're on his side and they're they're um, you know just praising and, and, and glorifying in this moment, many of these same people by the end of the week will be the ones raising their fist and calling for his death. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And even though he knew all the things that were going to take place, He he knew what was going to happen when he got to Jerusalem. He knew what this Passover meant. And he knew that he was going to die. And yet, he still came. He loves us so much that he never deviated. From the divine plan of redemption. That's your God. That's your Savior. Our passage says, (laughs) excuse me, our passage says that once Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple according to verse 11 and he looked around at everything. What an interesting thing to add to the narrative. If this was a coronation for instance you would think that things would be a lot different but Jesus enters Jerusalem, he goes to the temple doesn't talk about a lot of people with him, being with him at this time, and he goes into the temple, and it says he looks around at everything. It's almost It's almost like, "Wow, what just happened? <laughs> why Why is this taking place? What an interesting end to the day. But what was he doing there? He was scoping out what was going on in the temple grounds. He was observing the various activities that were taking place. And I think he was planning. I think he was seeing what was going on. He was planning what was going to take place. And then it says they returned to Bethany in the evening. So he goes into Jerusalem, He goes to the temple. At the end of the day, he goes back to Bethany again. The next day, which is Monday, he returns to Jerusalem again. And if you continue reading through our uh, chapter and into the end of um, Mark, he returns to Jerusalem and on the way he curses the fig tree, which is another very interesting story for another day. And this time he goes directly to the temple where he drove out all the people and animals that were commercializing the temple grounds. And that's what he was doing at the temple the night before when it says he was there, he was observing. He came back to cleanse the temple of what he saw taking place the day before. This is actually the second time that he cleaned the temple and cleansed the temple like this. The first time was right after he began his earthly ministry and he had just finished doing the first miracle where he turned the water into wine at the wedding, if you remember that story. Right after that, he went into the temple and he cleansed the temple because of the same thing. He saw that the people were commercializing religion and the worship of God. And it angered him. And he turned over the tables and he threw everybody out that was doing this. And he does this again at this time. And then he returns to Bethany again at the end of the day. On Wednesday, Jesus confronts the religious leaders. He preaches a sermon on his second coming. And Judas plans his betrayal. That all took place on Wednesday. On Thursday, they return to Jerusalem again. The disciples prepare for the Passover meal. Jesus spent time in the Garden of Gethsemane. We just talked about where that's at, on the Mount of Olives. And he is arrested and tried. And then on Friday, Jesus was crucified. So that would take place next week in our calendar. Through all of this, with all that Jesus knew, he still went to the cross. And why did he do this? Why would he do this? Because without him, I, you, all of us who have ever lived would face the wrath of God because of our sins. Christ's death was our redemption in God's act of reconciling us to himself without this taking place several thousand years ago, we would be facing a future of being judged and being punished. If you're here today hearing this or listening on live stream, and if you have never asked God to forgive you for your sins and to save you from this wrath that you would face. If you don't have a relationship with Him as your Lord and Savior, then you have a problem. For without Jesus, you don't have redemption. And you will someday face the wrath of God for the sins that you've done against him, for offending him. But that's not how your life story has to end. Because of his death and resurrection, there is hope. There's another opportunity. There's another path that your life can take. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Jesus was doing when he came to the cross. It was his time to die. The next time will be for him to reign. But he was making this free gift of eternal life available to those that he will save. God has made a way for you to receive freedom from his wrath. And that's by offering you his free gift of eternal life. If you want to know more about this free gift, then I invite you at the end of the service sometime, grab hold of me or someone else that you might trust and, and we'll talk to you about it and show you what it means and how to get there. But don't leave today if you don't know. If you're confused, if you are not sure, try to get clarity today. You don't know what your future holds. You don't know if today is the day you walk out of here and and it ends. I think we have see that with some of the experiences we've had of people that have medical issues that we would have never thought would have happened, and they never thought would have happened. People who die that we would have thought would have been around a long time. So talk to one of us today. So we share communion, as I mentioned, uh, at the beginning of the service every week here at Redwood Christian Fellowship. It's, it's kind of one of our... Um, foundational uh, markers, if you will, we, we do this. It's an opportunity for us to remember what it is that God did to save us and what he's going to do in the future when he does come back as the Messiah again to establish that earthly kingdom and to gather all his people that he saved together. To remember what it cost him to accomplish our salvation. Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed to purchase our redemption, our atonement. So let's prepare ourselves this morning as the worship team comes and we uh, come up and get the elements. Let's prepare ourselves for taking communion. If you're a Christian today and and we invite you to join us with communion, but if you are, are not a Christian or if you're not sure we would just ask that you uh, just sit quietly and let this pass and, and please come talk to me or someone else at the end of the service. So come on up and gather the elements.
1: mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary and you the perfect holy one crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me your blood has washed away my sin Jesus, thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus, thank you once surrounded me now seated at your table Jesus, thank you by your perfect side, I've been brought near Your enemy You made your friend Pouring out the riches Of your glorious grace Your mercy and your kindness know no end Your blood Has washed away my sin Jesus, thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you, once to enemy, me now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank.
0: On Thursday that week, uh, Jesus would have had the Passover meal with his disciples. And at that time, he established what we consider the Lord's Supper. And it says in Mark chapter 14, that as they were eating, he, being Jesus, took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take, this is my body. Let's take together. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, and he gave it to them, and they all drank from it, and he said to them, this is my blood, of the covenant which is poured out for many. Let's take it together. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And I can't help but think that when God opened their mind the disciples' minds so that they could look back at things he said and things that he did and understand them more fully, that this was one of the things they thought about, is what he meant, because that night he was arrested and ended up being crucified and buried and led to the resurrection on Sunday. So it it meant a lot to them because they were there. But we can be there, too, by sharing in the communion table and by sharing the the texts that they have given us in our Bible to be able to see what happened and why. God bless you. Have a good week. We hope to see you next Sunday at Easter Sunday. And uh, BJ will be back, I believe, and will be sharing with us. I hope you have a wonderful week. Try to spend some time looking through some of the the Passion Week narrative in the Gospels and see uh, for yourself what was taking place from day to day. Let's close. And thank you, ladies, for leading us today.
1: Appreciate it. Please stand. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant Moses, righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trials, of famine and darkness and sorrow, we are the voice in the desert crying, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. Have the trumpet call, so lift your voice. It's a year of Jubilee, and out of Zion's hill. Salvation comes. These are the days of Ezekiel. The dry bones becoming as flesh. And these are the days of your servant David. Rebuilding a temple of praise. And these are the days of the harvest. The fields are as wide in the world. And we are the laborers in your vineyard, declaring the word of the Lord. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call, so lift your voice. Year of Jubilee And out of Zion's hill Salvation comes. There's, no There's no God but Jehovah 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 Behold he Comes riding On the clouds Shining like the sun, has a trumpet call. So lift your voice, it's a year of jubilee, and not of Zion till salvation comes. Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, has a trumpet call. So lift your voice, it's a year of jubilee, and out of Zion's hill salvation comes. Everyone have a blessed week.